I'm excited because you are the very first show I ever saw at the improv. We traveled, oh, my husband and I. No, the one in Schaumburg. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Wow. So I traveled from Milwaukee when I heard you were in at the improv. My husband and I were like, you want to go see Godfrey? And I was like, Godfrey, yes. So we both traveled there and you were the very first show we ever saw at any improv anywhere. So this is a full circle moment for me because I get to interview you and you were my first experience. What makes the improv so special? Which one? Well, any of them, because I've, oh, well, I've interviewed I mean, improv, a number of... Go ahead. Go well, ahead. The, the improvs have been around since the 80s. I think 70s or 80s. Is the, the, the first one, I think, was in California. The one on Melrose that's still there. That's mm -hmm. uh, Bud... Um, what is his name? Bud... Um, oh, gosh. Uh, Bud Freeman was the one that kind of created the improv. And, um, yeah, it, it, the improv is, it's just, it's the home for comedy. You know, the, the branding is about stand-up, you know. And, you know, Milwaukee is a beautiful improv, actually. That's a new one. Milwaukee, yeah, that's a, a new brand. one. It's weird. It's really, I did it for the first time last year. It's beautiful, man. Um, but the improvs are just set up for comedy. You know, they're made for stand-up, you know. And most of them are made for everybody to have a wonderful experience of what stand-up is like. There's no bad seat in an improv, you know, mm -hmm. every, you know, so it's just, it's just, you feel like you're at a show when you come to the improv and it's like, almost like a staple to go to the improv, like an honor to be able to perform at the improv. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of its name from the seventies and late seventies and eighties. So that's, yeah, what the I, that's what I think makes it special. Just it's history and, you know, and it's respect for standup. When you go there, you know, you're coming to a standup comedy show, you know? Let's go. Let's go back in your history. So you are born to Nigerian parents and your yep. your family is a part of the Igbo tribe. And let me just say this as a black American, knowing my connection to the continent was extremely important. So so this year for my birthday, what I did was I took the African ancestry test okay. to find out who my people were. All right. And I discovered that I am a. Member of the Mende tribe from Sierra Leone. Nice. So I want you to tell me, as someone who doesn't have that deep rooted connection through my immediate parents' lineage, like you do, what is something, what is a misconception about people on the continent, about how the world sees the continent versus the reality of going over there and living amongst the people? Well, I was born here, so mm -hmm. um, when I, I I'm going to Nigeria actually next month, December, and I haven't been there since I was like teens and stuff. But and um, it's like the misconception, which was actually growing up in Chicago, the misconception was that Africa was poor as hell, right? Everything was poor. They were very primitive. You know, there was no technology. I mean, it was a lot of, you know, it, and I, as a growing up here and my brother, my sister was born there, but we all grew up here. The, the images that they showed in America was all like, you know, people with no clothes and flies on their faces. So you were, you were like, and I would ask my parents, is it really like that? Mm -hmm. And my father would be like, it's like that down the street. You know, poor people are everywhere. Like there's, Poverty mm -hmm. everywhere. I mean, Nigeria, I mean, Africa has a lot of great stuff there. It's a lot of, 
there's a lot of wonderful things there. They just show you in the media so they can discourage you from going Wanting there. to go home. Yeah. But then when I you, truly, when I, I truly when, think that too. Yeah. When you go there, it's all the people that were making fun of you and hating you are the ones there. The Europeans, white people, Arabs, they're all up in Africa. And then you realize Africa has all the resources. Africa has everything. The reason why our cell phones work is because of Africa, the cocoa, the all, all the different products that we use. If Africa wasn't around, France and Europe would collapse. France has been making money off, making about 500 billion off of Africa every year. France and Europe would collapse without Africa. But the way they set it up was they trashed Africa to Africans and African-Americans and black people around. And then they make us hate it. But while at the same time, they go and, and taking everything and building shit and, you know, taking resources, stealing resources. Yet making us self-hate each other, making us fight amongst each other all around the world, from Caribbeans to Afro-Cubans to Afro-Latinos to Afro-Arabs. They make Africa this horrible place, but Africa is the cradle of civilization. It's the cradle of all the resources. It has everything. It has everything, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and it's kind of cool now, at least better late than never, I guess. African-American people are starting to really educate themselves on Africa. You see a lot of African-Americans going to Africa. There's a lot of African-Americans moving to Africa. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the, with the, with, with just Af like, like Afrobeat for a sec, for instance, it's the, like probably the number one music genre right now in the world, Afrobeat along with hip hop. But it's like, it's connecting us to Africa, all these African, Nigerian, most of them are Nigerian artists. From Burner Boy to yeah. Z, uh, Z Squared, all of the Nigerians. So it's kind of cool to be like you're, the the music is connecting everybody to to Africa, and yeah. you you can see on like Insta, you know, with social media, you're getting a lot of truth now. You're getting real history. You're, you're calling people out on their shit. Yeah. Can I curse on this? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You can say what you want to oh. say. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're calling people out on their shit. You're starting to really unveil all the lies that have been said about Africa. A lot of, and I think a lot of African leaders, I mean, the ones that actually care, are starting to wake up and cut off the bullshit. They're not letting some of these Europeans do what they continue to do. A lot of these African leaders are stepping up. I think there's an awakening. I, I feel like they're, I'm sure it's not, it's going to take more time. You know, but there's an awakening happening where I think that we're slowly because we're so messed up. You know, you got African-Americans, Africans. There's always, there's a, still a disconnect amongst us, but there's still we're making connections, you know, because we all do look the same. Yeah. You know, we all do look the same. We all experience the same horrible racism, you know, the horrible racism that, you know, Europeans give Africans. But we try to act like, oh, well. Sometimes and sometimes it happens with Africans. They'll think, "Oh well, we're better than African Americans," which is not true. It's like you're not better. You're 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 still being shit on by Europeans. You're a col you're colonized. You know my you know Nigeria was colonized by Britain. You know a lot mm -hmm. of you're Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone, the Portuguese, yeah, the end, Portuguese yep, and in France. So mm -hmm. we were all been brainwashed to hate each other, to fight amongst each other, to colorism, all that shit. So we all had different doses of racism. We're all called nigger all around the world. Anti-blackness is all around the world. 
when you look at like what's happening in Palestine and Israel, which is really horrible, um, we know what that's like to be shit on all the time, to be treated like, like, like we're nothing. And I feel bad for, you know, unnecessary violence that's happening over there. But even those people shit on black folks. You know, which is sad. Like, I got friends from Palestine and from Israel. I have friends from there. I performed out there a few times in the Middle East and all this. But they, I know there's racism in those countries, which yeah. is mind-blowing to me. Because anti-blackness is everywhere. But, um, and I think that, with especially with the social media, even though we get a lot of bullshit on there, there's a lot of people really sticking their necks out to tell the truth about Africa. You know, some people, there's a lot, a of, lot travel, of people, a lot of people, a lot of travel it. accounts where people going, yo, this is Africa. I'm in Ghana. I'm in boom, mm -hmm. boom, boom. Look at all this. Look at this. Look at the, it's, it's getting industrial. Look at the technology. Don't let these people fool you. And that's helping out. That's I know there's, out. there's, there's women, there's women, black women getting together, 50, a hundred black women going to different countries, black men. Um, getting their groups together, going over yeah. there, brothers, friends, yeah. cousins, going back to it's the continent awesome. to show it's us. It's so dope. It's dope yeah. as hell. My friend Gia, Gia the goddess, she's got a whole, she just got, oh man, I don't know if it's Zambia or whatever. She just got a whole, like acres and acres of land, African-American, mm -hmm. and she's mining. She has her own mining. Where wow. She's mining minerals and all and she shout out to up. Gia. Gia the, shout out to Gia. Yeah, she was on my podcast. Gia the Goddess. Look up Gia the mm -hmm. Goddess. She's the homie, and she's she's um having like groups of people travel. She brings travel groups to come and learn how to mine resources and stuff like that and get land. She's I'm definitely it, right? contacting Gia, and I'm gonna name Gia drop. the Goddess. Just... It should be Gia the Goddess. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. For sure. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. like. Godfrey told like, me to hit you up. Yeah, so we can talk. We can talk and tell people like, what you're doing. Really, she's really pushing it. Like, yo, guys, this is your land. You guys yeah. really, you got these white folks, Asians, all they, they're they're trying to grab all that, all that, all those resources in Africa. What's wow, one of the cool what, on us? Right. One of the cool things that I realized after doing the African ancestry test was Dr. Gina Page told me that. Because of the location where my DNA was found, I could have dual citizenship, which is another beautiful thing that I think is happening on the continent, offering dual citizenship so that we can come back home, so that yeah. we can be a part of the origin of our culture, so we can learn our culture and our we history. We can go back and forth. And customs. And yes. We can be able to go, like, you know what, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Yep. Uh, Whenever you home. go home. You can yep. build homes and buy stuff for, for less and have a nice solid joint and and then you're in a place where everybody looks like you and you're not you don't have to worry about some microaggressive white motherfucker you know bothering you or in your business you're around people that look like you period mm -hmm. and even if you do have like trouble with other people but they're your folks you know you're like yeah you don't have to worry about maybe the cops shooting you because of what you look like they're actually like punish you because of you doing something doing wrong something wrong yeah my 12 you know year old she is so excited about going to sierra leone like she is, is like, immensely excited about just putting her feet on the land and that's what yeah. we talk about we talk about how it's going to be drastically different because it's where we should have been 
all this yeah. time and it's gonna yep. it's gonna have its own feeling it's gonna be like another person in the room and i told her yep. i want her to absorb all of that energy and carry that with her through life whether she decides to build a home there or raise yeah. a family there or visit yeah. as often as she wants but i want her to feel that connection because that is family that's that's who you are yeah i i i that someone was telling me it was a lady a few years ago and she goes to ghana all the time and i remember she just told me she came to me she said brother you need to plant your feet on the continent, you need you you're, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. You know, you did it a long time ago, but you have to. Just with everything you're doing, it's great. But I think once you land your feet back in your home, everything's going to come in full circle. You, you need to do that. And my parents are gone, you know, unfortunately. But, you know, my sister went last year. She's just like, it's so dope. My cousin, you know, it's like, and I have cousins and all kind of family down there. So, you and know, Chica- I need your to- Chi- your Chicagoan entertainment brothers are bringing people to Ghana and, and celebrating Ghana as well. Vic Mensa, Chance the Rapper, they're doing the Black Star Line concert. Last year, they had 30,000 people in Ghana, a free concert. Erica Badu, Toby Nwigwe, all these people came to Ghana for this free concert to deliver their music and their message directly to the people. And I think the whole idea of that Marcus Garvey, Black Star Line movement, yeah. um, musically bringing Americans home to Ghana and home to the continent for this huge free show is another incentive to get people to go over there, to to get up, yeah. get a passport, get on a plane yeah. and visit the continent. Even if it's just for to see all these artists that you would never see in person over here for free. We're going to give you the free concert. We want you to spend your money on coming home. And I think that's a mentality that we need more of. But this is nothing new to people like you, because you've always been very, very pro-Black. And you've always stood on that. So let's talk a little bit about your your journey for people who don't know you. Um, Uh, um, you you, You attended U of I, right? Yeah, Champagne, and I took classes at um, also at Chicago State, Olive Harvey. You, you, you know Chicago well? Mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. State University, Olive Harvey. Yeah, I did all the Harold Washington College. You know, in the summer, I would take, I say, hey, man, I need to take a class or two so I can, like, you know, for when the semester starts, I won't have as much of a, of a workload. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I started, you know, um, my parents came in the late, wait, in the late, in the early seventies. And uh, my father was an educator for 45 years on the West side of Chicago. My mother was a nurse for like 30 some years in Chicago. Um, and uh, my sister, my brother, I grew I, I was born in Nebraska. Right. And then parents moved out. And yeah, I just, we were regular family, man. Just regular blue collar immigrant family on the North side of Chicago and uptown which is the most integrated area of Chicago because of it being so segregated to this day. Chicago is the most segregated. Chicago and Milwaukee yeah. are the most segregated cities, and they're not that far from each other. But, yeah, I was in, um, I think, the Guinness Book of World Records. It made the Guinness because of how Im- how many immigrants. That's where we grew up in Uptown. So mm-hmm. it was like all my friends were like Vietnamese, Cambodian, African, Nigerian, African-American, Polish, Russian. Yugoslavian, Jewish, American Jewish. That uh, is so interesting. Same thing in Detroit. In Detroit, the large Palestinian and Arab Muslim population 
And so yeah. when I watch the news and I see all these stories being told about people that look like people that I grew up with, I know it's it's factually incorrect. Right. right? Because I know the culture. I know the custom. I know the people. Yeah. But if you yeah. didn't grow up in this environment, it's so easy to just take that in and make it a fact yeah. and then spew yeah. that out to yep. other people. Because you mm -hmm. haven't had a lived experience. You don't right. you don't understand that this is one particular person or a group of people doing the thing. It does not represent the entire Muslim religion. It doesn't represent oh, the not at all. world. Yeah. It doesn't represent, yeah. you know, you, you don't get that. And when I went to, I have family from Champaign. Shout out to my family in Champaign. Yeah, in um, Illinois. My uncle-in-law helped redesign the new athletic center there. Um, obviously, I don't know if you knew this, Chris, Chris Bridges, Ludacris is from Champagne. Yeah. Oh, he's from yeah, he was born there. He was born like in it. Champagne. Uh, my That's husband crazy. was born in Champagne. And and even Janelle James, the comedian from Abbott Elementary, talked about Janelle, how she yeah. worked. Yeah, how she worked in Champagne. A lot of talent goes through Champagne, That's and so you would never funny. know. Yeah. <laughs> so Urban what is one Urbana, thing? Champagne. Yes. What? It, yeah. what is, what's one thing that you you learned at Champagne outside of like developing your comedy chops because we're gonna get there mr varsity man and i didn't notice about you that you played football right I, I walked on the team on a bet this dude marlon primus he'd be like he betted me and say i bet you come to spring training and see if you i dare you to do it and i did it on a bet and i walked on i just walked on the team i was on there for like three years and college football is not a joke it's really tough it's yeah. tough man a lot of injuries. I had a lot of injuries and stuff like that. It wasn't as fun. <laughs> a lot, but it was it was fun. To, 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 my teammates were great, but it was like hard work, man. I I know one thing: college athletes do deserve to be paid. That's yeah. what I know. It's it's a they they're putting their bodies through a lot, and then they have to do homework and get to keep their grades up and stuff like that. And they're making money for the school, and they're broke, and they definitely deserve to be paid a stipend or something. They definitely deserve that. Yeah. And they, so, you know, NCAA just started paying athletes, what they should have done a long time ago. But yeah, they definitely So you deserve. you you honed your comedy chops like making fun of your coaches and teammates there. Well yeah, that's what they say in the bio. No, I just Is did that a, true? No, it was like I was always funny in college, but my I had funny friends. You know how you have friends that are funny, everybody's but I, I started my comedy in Chicago when I got back to Chicago. I started doing open mic stuff. You know, I was like, I was a pre-med psych major. And uh, mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to do, I'm going to try the comedy in Chicago. So I started going to open mics in Chicago. You know what I mean? Um, so, I was just, I did like, when I was on the football team, we, you know, everybody has to do the uh, talent show. All the rookies yeah. have to do a talent show. So I was doing, like, making fun of people and stuff like that. But I didn't think I was going to do comedy, though. Yeah. I didn't think you were it was just natu first. naturally funny. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think I was. Then I'm like third year college. I was like, I'm thinking about doing it because uh, Tommy Davidson came to our school. He hung out. I hung out with him and stuff. We showed him around campus. And so and it was. Yeah, and I, I saw Eddie Murphy, too. I, Eddie Murphy came to our campus, which is crazy, right? Came Eddie, to U of I? Raw. He did the live Raw tour. What? Yep. And we he came to Champagne. Live raw tour. That's yep. crazy. That's that's crazy, right? Um, and I yeah, so I I well, Tommy Davidson really like I was like, oh, I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it's like, okay, when I get back to Chicago, 
I'm going to start to look into open mics and stuff like that. And I said, and I started, I started to watch comedy for like a good year and a, a year. I just went to some comedy clubs and I would just watch, you know, just watch, observe. And then I started to go, you know, do open mics. You know, that's when I ran into Bernie Mac. Uh, Cause I was doing mainstream and I was doing urban. So I ran, Bernie had a Monday night uh, open mic thing. And that's why I ran into Bernie Mac. That's why, you know, Cedric Entertainer coming from St. Louis. Yeah. You know, I would watch D.L. Hughley, Mark Curry, um, Don D.C. Curry. I would watch uh, Mike Collier. I would watch all these great comedians, you know, Chris Rock. I, I was watching, you know, and then yeah. I just, you know, from there, it just swelled up. Work begot, be, uh, begets work, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And and my buddy, another guy who's the Chicago veteran who's been in L.A. for it. As a guy named Evan Lionel, who people don't really know him, but he's been around a long time. But he's the guy that kind of got Bernie Mac started, kind of changed Bernie's life and got Bernie into comedy. I want to wow. make sure we know that Evan Lionel is his name. And he's fantastic. He's my big brother. Fantastic comedian. And yeah, so that's how I started doing comedy, just doing the circuit. I was in a comedy team for a year. I, I was I would do sketches with this other guy. Yeah. You see the balloons? What, what is that? <laughs> That's like when you do like. Oh my goodness. You do like. Different hand motions. Like then there's different stuff that comes up. Okay. <laughs> my computer's not. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I just discovered that. I, watch this. Watch this. Wait. So are you saying this is a Zoom thing? Yeah. my It's been doing. I, I don't know if you get it. I don't. You might have to have your settings on something. Well, I'm going to try it's, that. It's I'm fun. Never, I, I'm never People be mad at me. <laughs> you know what? Every time I interview a comedian, it's always something. <laughs> I'm going to try this. I'm going to check my settings. And I didn't even mean to do it. That. I thought, that, I thought like, did she see the balloon? She's like, what the <laughs> Yes, heck? she did see the balloon. That shit so looked fun, you, didn't it? It did look fun. So when you were at the comedy shows, when you were just watching for that full year, were you watching to learn the rhythm, watching to learn the yeah, cadence? Yeah, were you trying to like, figure out how they're wrapping it up? See, I wanted to see the the environment. Like, oh, you know, I mean, if I'm if I'm interested in baseball, which I played, you're going to go to the baseball games. You're going to watch it on TV. You're going to watch. You're going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I was like, let me go to the, and I had a friend, her name is Jocelyn, who's, I'm her son's godfather, and she was working at a comedy club, and she would just let me in, and for free, let me in, because I was just like, hey, I'm interested in doing comedy, I just want to be able to watch, we just clicked this was years ago, and she would just let me, she's one of my best friends, but she would just let me in to watch, you know, she would say, hey, I mean, oh yeah, she's actually a girl that, that was the first time I went on the Oprah Winfrey show. She got me on the Oprah Winfrey show. We went on the Oprah Winfrey show back in the day. I used to go on the Oprah Winfrey show all the time. So I used to see Oprah Winfrey. But anyway, but yeah. All um, Chicago, right? All Chicago. Level. All Chicago. Yeah, I used to go on the Oprah Winfrey show. I even brought Dion Cole with me to the Oprah Winfrey show. I didn't know that the, the studio was in the hood. Yeah, it's on Randolph. I did not know that until I went to Chicago and I, I I was driving down the hood and I didn't, obviously I didn't know the city. And I was like, Harpo Studio, I know Oprah was, don't have a whole studio on the block. Yeah, it's like, it was, but it's that area is like, the, it was more the meat packing. It's like the meat, 
the industry. So it was mm-hmm. a little like warehouses for meat and stuff like that. A little, so yeah, oh, Harpo was right there. It was, I used to go, I have some friends from college that used to work there and I would go on the show a lot. I, I used to always see Oprah. I used to make her laugh. Um, I knew her hairdresser, Roosevelt. I knew yes. Andre, all of them. I knew all mm-hmm. of them. And I was there all the time. So let's talk a little bit about something else that I found interesting about your story around the college age. You used to go to the mosque and you would listen to Minister Faircott, all of the speakers yeah. there. Yeah. You were you were such a like a, at that time you were so open to absorbing information and messages and however they came. Specifically yeah. if they were talking about black and and community and cultural empowerment. And it seems yeah. like that has landed on such fertile ground with you because that has stuck with you. That has been your message yeah, ever since yeah, I've ever I, seen you talk, whether it's Vlad TV, whether it's um, in Godfrey We Trust, like everything you've done has been rooted yeah. in Black love. Yeah, I because when I first, like, okay, when I started, I started doing comedy, I was already in college, you know, U of I, you're talking about 40, 35, 40,000 students, mainly predominantly white, PWI, predominantly white institution, 800 black students. But we had all the fraternities and sororities. We had, mm-hmm. you know, Deltas, AKA, Zeta. We had SG Row. We had um, Qs, Kappas, Alphas, even Iota Phi Theta, Sigma, the Sigma, um, this, um, the Sigmas. We had the Sigmas. We had uh, all of them, Alphas. We had everybody. And we all stuck together. We all went to the, the frat parties and because the black people stuck like this because we knew we weren't that many. And um, yeah, from there, I would go to the African-American Cultural Center and we and my um, friends, we you know, we my girlfriend at the time, we started like a, a book club. So we started reading, hey, why don't we start reading stuff about us? And we're like, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll hold ourselves accountable and get a book like, for instance, like a book like, hey, the autobiography of Malcolm X. We're all gonna read it. Next two weeks we meet, we gonna talk about it. Boom, then we started raising money and bringing people in to speak to us. We had a guy named Ajwa Kwesi who still teaches African history and the origins of Ajwa Kwesi would come in. We had Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture. Mm-hmm. He came to our school. We had Sister Soldier came to our school. We had Eleanor Holmes Norton, Senator, and but we had her come yeah. to our school. We had Ben Daruba uh, Ben Wahad, who was Black Panthers with um, Tupac Shakur's mom, Afini Shakur. He was mm-hmm. in the same chapter. We brought him. And I just, you know, the new Tupac documentary that's out, Dear Mama, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Oh, of course. He's in that. He's yeah, in I it. Know. And I was like, whoa, we brought him to my college, hung out with him. And Francis Chris Welting, we brought to our oh. college, Francis Chris Welting. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace. Yes. We brought, oh, I met, I hung out with them and we brought them like we were able to, to put our little pennies together and bring them to our college. So I was, and then we brought Native American speakers, political prisoners, Latino. So we, I, this is what we cultivated on our own to the chagrin of the president, Stan Eikenberry. He didn't like what we were doing on the campus and we protested a lot. Um, we were really trying our best to really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's when I got into listening to uh, like Malcolm X. I read all his books, all the Malcolm X books. My collection got bigger and bigger. We read so many books. And then I um, 
yeah, I said, let me go like go to Savior's Day and see what Barakat is about. I didn't, I'm not a Muslim. I wasn't joining anything. I just wanted to hear him talk because the media would say he's this, he's that, he's this. I go, well, I'm gonna go see for myself. Because I like to go see. I don't care if you're a clan member. I want to see what well, I know what a clan member is going to talk about, but I'm gonna at least give you a chance to get context. So I would go and I would go to I went to Savior's Day. I'm like 18 years old. I go. Then I buy his tapes. He, you know, they would sell you the oh, beats the, that you just set tapes. Yes. And I would boom. And so I would just like listen to it in my dorm room with, with my white roommates going, can you turn that down? <laughs> I'm like, no, why don't you turn your shit down? How about that? <laughs> white man. You know, I was, I was one of those. And that was the time we were listening to Public Enemy and Brand Nubian. And, and, Shout out and to Lord Jamar. Lord Jamar, that's my dude. Yeah. It's so crazy. I was listening to him in college, and now he's my dude. Right. And, you know, and you know, we're listening to Brand Nubian. We're listening to all these, like, conscious rap, hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? And then we're watching Spike Lee movies. You know, we're watching Do the Right Thing and Mo' Better Blues. So it's like everything. You got this African history, African, and it was the golden age of Black cinema. And we're just like, it was all in me. Like, so... Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah, and I and and Farrakhan, Minister Farrakhan, and and black people don't. A lot of black people don't like Farrakhan, so it's not like, oh, he's just against his white. There's black people that don't like Farrakhan, but I took everything with a grain of salt. I said, this man has lived. He's ninety now. He's yeah. lived in the era of Jim Crow and segregation, and you know, he know he's he was under the tutelage of Malcolm X. And I know there's a lot of mystery behind, you know, the beef with, I don't get into all that, but I just know he's lived long, a life where he went through a lot, a lot of shit. So I'm like, it was, it, he was like my pep talk for being in a very white university. It was nice to hear Farrakhan and you're like, that's in your head. You're like, I can move, I can go through the week now, feeling proud of myself and blah, 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 you know? So when, when the yeah. world is telling you that you're less than, you have this black man, who's a leader of a community confirming, confirming your brilliance, your, your power in the community, your collective consciousness. Yeah. And it's a, it's a way for you to hear that on a repeating basis. He's a great role model. He's been married to his wife for 68 years. Do people realize that he's been with this 68 years he's been with his wife and he's, and, and he's telling me, Hey man, Black folks, you need to get your stuff in order. Why can't we pull our money together and start start depending, stop depending on other people and support each other? He was, it was so much positive stuff. Even he would talk to the sororities and fraternities. He says, it's great to be in a fraternity, but you got to include everybody. We should all be fraternity and sorority. Even if you're a Delta, AK, so what? What if somebody couldn't get in there? Does that mean you don't, they're not your sister? They, he would, he would, that held, hold everybody accountable. He held himself accountable. He yeah. held the nation of Islam accountable. He ain't Muslim. You know what I'm saying? He was just like a, a wise guy, an old wise man who was just trying to, you know, but when he got into certain things, I would be like, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't really know much about that, but I just know the everyday living, the day-to-day -day living of how to deal with white supremacy and black self, black on black hatred. You know, he he would he would address the gang situation. I mean, it was just all embedded in me, and I was like, yeah. And I I and and you know, Minister Farrakhan was a performer. He was a singer. Yeah. 
He was a calypso singer. He's from, yeah. His mom's from St. Kitts. He was a calypso. He was a violinist, a violinist. master violinist. Yeah. He was a performer. So he did all that. That's why when he spoke, I, I, I take some of that from him. When I'm on stage, I get that from him. Because watching him, he was a performer. So I have that. Malcolm X, James Baldwin, uh, uh, from Maya Angelou to Nikki Giovanni to uh, Sonia Sanchez to all. Of, I mean, I sound like I'm doing a poetry, a poem. <laughs> That's fine because <laughs> you're naming the great. But those, but those people do affect me. James mm -hmm. Baldwin's one of the greatest writers, American writers. Period. Not black or white. James Baldwin and was such an intellect. And you're talking I mean, about his, his mind. Is, I mean, yes, yes. Gay black man who had who dated white men. Mm -hmm. But was so, but you didn't even think about his gayness because he always spoke about being black first. He spoke for black people, period. And he was so eloquent and so intellectual. So all of these people, Marcus Garvey, all of the, all, I mean, I was just, I would read up on everything. Black I watched James Baldwin, um, and this is, this is kind of corny, but I love to watch his speech at Oxford when, he when had he's this going debate. against Buckley? Yes. Against Buckley, yes, yeah, yes. sure. Be it's because it, for me, it reminds me that other people will have arguments that they they will stand on for their community. And in turn, they will turn and judge our community based on the benefits that they've had in life. But those benefits can only exist if somebody else is doing the hard labor that you don't have to do. And you've called people, you and Lord Jamar, y'all have called you know, people out and even put your career saying, you know, I know I get a lot of looks if I'm over here doing this, but I, we have to take a stand. And Minister Farrakhan was one of the, the people that was a, a, somebody that you took a stand for and you severed relationships with a couple of entities in the past when you felt like you were either disrespected or our community was disrespected. And yeah. that's not something that you see nowadays. People will yeah, put their yeah, money yeah. in their career. They'll hold their career and their money over what's best for the community. And I, and I, I just want to thank you as a person who observes you and observes what you do outside of comedy. Yeah. That is a big risk to take. Yeah. And, and, and you took it I and haven't looked back. Yeah. I try to balance it, you know, you know, cause I, I, I want to be successful in what I do. I love comedy. I love people. I like my crowds are diverse as shit, mm -hmm. which I love. I love that. It's everybody in my crowd. That's where the real comedy to me. You know, of course, when I was starting comedy, I go, I gotta make sure I can make black people laugh. I would go to the urban. I say, okay, cool. I'm in a mainstream, yeah. cool. You know, I want to make sure about that. Cause you know, but um I like everybody coming to my show. I like my I like when Asians are there. I like when I, I like my shit to be diverse. I don't want to yeah. ever be worried, oh guess who's in the audience? I go, okay, there's just human beings, good. I can relate to anybody. I like that my jokes relate to everybody. I mean, that's like, that sounds cliche, but yeah. Not really, some because some people, I went like, to a show. I went to a right. show with uh, my husband. We saw this comedian. I won't say her name. We saw this comedian on television. She had a very diverse special. So her, when she had her special, they would cut to members of that community she was talking about, and it would show them laughing and everything was fine. Yeah, that's all when tricks, she came camera here, tricks. When she came here to Milwaukee, it was a predominantly white room. 
And one of the ladies that was in front of us in line said, well, I saw her in Madison and it was predominantly white and the jokes didn't hit the same. It just seemed like they were racist at the time because it was a bunch of white Was it a white lady or a black lady? Of course it was. So when she started doing her show, we immediately felt that weight because we looked around and it wasn't a diverse audience. It was just a bunch of jokes about people of color. And we realized and that, it was oh, the camp. Yes, we realized that, oh, the, that was the camera tricks. Because camera tricks. Yeah. Yeah. During the special, it was like, oh, it was this beautiful community. It would show this person. Was it funny? Was it funny? In the special, it was because you saw all these people laughing at themselves. Right. Oh, but then tricks. when you're in the yeah. room and it's just a bunch of jokes about. Black people or Asian people or Hispanic people or was it people corny? From it was like corny, like corny. Was it recent? It was probably about ten years ago. You know, Lisa Lapinelli. Lisa Lapinelli. Yeah, I was like, that's Lisa. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I know you know, her very I, well. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, uh, that don't hit the same. That don't hit the same when you're in a room full of white people laughing at jokes well, about well, you. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing too. Is those specials? Here's how they do with these specials. When you're shooting a special, you have a person called a wrangler, and they go, "Well, what do you, what would you like your audience to be?" There's a people that actually go, "This is what we're gonna bring you. We're gonna bring you forty percent black, ten percent black." They actually get these people. They wrangle to them. Fill the. They wrangle them in, and it's 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 pretty cool because they go, "What do you want your crowd? I want all African American. We'll get all African American. I want African American intellectuals. We'll get African. I want ghetto." They'll have anything. I want Asian. They'll mm-hmm. they have it and they set it up on purpose for your special. So you know what I mean. So that's why people able to. Oh, let me just show. Yeah, if I do Asians, let's show Asians approving of it. That's yeah. that's camera trick shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and in person, it felt very. We were we we felt, it felt we felt attacked. You, you know what I mean? Ass? Yeah. <laughs> because here's the thing, and Lisa, Lisa, I've known Lisa a long time. There was a time where, you know, because we both worked at the same club in New York, a comedy cellar. And I remember there were times where people were waiting for we'll beat our ass outside. Like Latinos would be like, nah, I'm going to fuck that fat bitch up. Watch. And we'd be like, yo, chill, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she'd be like, you know, crying. And like, well, I'm just joking. I was like, yeah, Lisa, but, you know, some people ain't going to take that the right way. There were girls who wanted to whoop her, and all her boyfriends were black. Yeah. Oh, she she made that clear. She made that clear. Yeah, but you know, no, you, you, you know, interracial relationships has never stopped you from feeling the way you feel. No, but I'm saying like the the room just if it doesn't if it's not everybody laughing with you, then it's everybody laughing at you, and that's what the room felt like. And it wasn't one of those things where we're all laughing together because. You know, this is, we are laughing at everybody. It was no everybody. It was us. And it feels yeah. very different when you're the only ones in that room and everybody else around you is laughing at, you know. Well, sometimes, sometimes, you know, like Paul Moody used to do that to white folks. Yes, he did. <laughs> when they would come and Paul, Paul would be like, Paul would murder their ass. And then black people just like, you know, when black people laugh, we like this. I'm doing white, it right now. And white people are like this. And then they get up and leave and he'd be like this. I told you the mother, they can't handle this shit. White folks, you know, oh. So it's the same kind of thing. 
It except, is. Except, except it's more like on our, when we do it, it's more we've earned that right almost. Yeah. We've earned yeah. it from all our pain and all our suffering. We've earned that right. When they do it, it's more from ignorance. It's an ignorant thing. It's the shit she, they've been doing for such a long time that a lot of it is bullshit. Ours is more like we calling you out on your bullshit and making fun of this shit because we're the oppressed. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And so, but you know, but I know what it's like to shame them up. <laughs> but yeah, Lisa Lampanelli, her, her jokes weren't like the smartest. They were very like old school racist shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, you don't have a job. You're black. Who don't have a job? You know, that, you know, are you Asian? You can't even see like real hacky. And she got big with it, you know? Yeah. But that's, you know, that's the line that she walked. And, uh, you know, I think she's retired from comedy, though. I think she stopped doing it. I think she's doing like life coaching or something, something different now, you know? Yeah. So, so a lot of people might know you either from the It Factor or from Seven Up Yours. I think Seven Up More. But yeah, it's a combination of everything. Like they say, oh, I remember It Factor, or I remember Seven Up, or I remember Soul Plane, or I remember Fat Girls. I remember. So it's like a Zoolander. It's like a combination mm-hmm. of everything. Like I get waves of oh, original gangsters with Fred Williams and Jim Brown, Pam Green. That was my first movie we shot in Gary, Indiana. Original game. So original it's a combination. Of, yeah, you ever really? see original gangsters? I did. We, we shot it in Gary, Indiana. Yeah, that was my first. I didn't film. know that. I did not know that was in Gary, Indiana. That was Gary. That was wow. Gary, Indiana. Yep, not that you know, down the street. So do do people still get you and Orlando Jones mixed up? Not at all. Okay. We don't look nothing alike. I know. We, I know. No, we I don't. Know. They don't get me mixed up with no, no. They okay. Go, oh, I like to seven up. You were right after Orlando Jones. They'll separate it. Okay. A lot of times they separated. Yeah, but no, but that was a privilege to do that. That was a big time thing. That's like to be part of an American product growing up on commercials and then you do one, you get to be a, you know, uh, a spokesperson for a, a product. I always thought that was cool. You know, you grow up watching people, whether it's McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, blah, 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 and then now you're doing it. You're part yeah. of American culture. And then, and then working on MTV, being on VH1, MTV, just like, that was a big deal. MTV, when MTV was dope, when it was fun, like when it was about music and, and it was just dope. Yeah. And it was about the artists. And yeah, I'm working on that for two years, doing spring break with, with Carson Daly. And that was dope. You know, Do you realize that there is a whole, a whole generation of people who don't know what MTV stands for? Because there's no music right. on it anymore. There's no, it's just a bunch of bums. It's like bum ass shit. It's, it's just, MTV is trash. It's bum ass, oh, pregnant at 16. It's just bum. It's bum ass shit. It's whack. It's just lame. I just, I think it's Reality lame. TV they, is cheap. Yeah, it's cheap, but MTV started with, um, it was New York. Um, ro- um, oh, the real world. It? Real world. I understand with Heather B. Heather B. Shout out to Heather B. Shout out to Heather oh, B. Heather B. Oh, she was so talented as a rapper. She could rap her ass off. But um, yeah, but yeah, it started with that. That's what got the ball rolling and all. But I, I think they could have But even the real world, even the real world had a message, putting people together from different backgrounds, true, different cultures true. to see how they can live in the space. And with New York being so diverse, it just made sense for it to be yeah. in a city like that where diversity is naturally a part of the ecosystem. But it yeah. just transformed into something 
like you said, kind of. Yeah, they could have. They could have like still balanced, kept the music strength. This, you know, kept the mood music because the videos were dope. The the it was good. The TRL shit was fire. It it, it should have kept that. That was really dope. And then you know, in Times Square, you could be outside waving the waving to people in the window. That was mm -hmm. fire. I love that shit. You know, and living in New York yeah. for 22 years now, it's like when I would walk, I say, like, this is so dope. Like it was a branding of MTV. But, you know, so I've, I've been blessed to be able to do all of those different things. I've always been sort of consistent. Like I have my, you know, I've never been low. I've always been just in the middle, high, yeah. middle. You know what I mean? And people yeah. go, yo, man, you've been in this country. You need to be blah, blah, blah. I go, well, everybody's path is different. There's certain yeah. things. Just being like, a, like you know, being the way I am about culture and manhood, I'm just not going to do certain things, man. I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not built to go, I'll I'll do that to get this role. I'm not doing that shit. Nope. You got to live yeah. with that. And I really believe when people sell themselves out, I think sell themselves out to a point where it's like, what the hell? I think it catches up to them. I really believe you see a lot of people in the business breaking down. Breaking yeah. down, breaking down. One of the people that one of the people that is having an interesting moment right now. You've known this man from way back when, when Coogie was filming him. Cootie? You were around. Cootie oh, was it, filming um, him. Cootie yeah, yeah. for the um, genius documentary. We get to see all this footage, but you were there live. You knew. Yeah, I was there. I, was, I know Cootie when he started doing comedy before he started picking up a camera. He started yeah. comedy with us. And then he was like, eh. And he started saying, I'm doing Channel Zero. He go, Godfrey, I got this thing called Channel Zero. And I would be around him. He'd be, this is Channel Zero, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, he became, he just became behind the scenes. And and I remember being in his office before he did the, um, before he did the, uh, Cootie did the uh, documentary for Kanye. He had all this footage in his back. Like, what is this? He's like, yo, this is all the footage. That I've had since '98. That yo, I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a, a documentary on Kanye. But we got, I gotta see because we haven't really spoken to each other. But you know, so I already knew him and his partner Chike is producing my. I already knew about that. It was coming out. I was supposed to be in a documentary because he has footage of me in '98 when he first moved to New York. I was like, yo, you here? I was going to be in a documentary. He goes, but we didn't have enough time. I was like, ah. Yeah, but no, so, but, but I've heard you talk about how long he had shot Kanye for the years. I mean, like yeah, this was years, man. A years. real, this was a real Cody project. Been shooting this shit for years, and I was around when he's shooting it, and then for it to come together, and it was so good. And he narrated; it was really good the way he did it. it was really good, yeah. man. I'm really proud so. Of let me let me ask you this: Out of all the people who have come out of Chicago that you know, that the industry might not know that you know. Um, who has had the most interesting trajectory in your eyes? Is it somebody like Kanye that you saw? Um, yeah, I think rise? Kanye, probably Kanye. Um, Common, it's pretty, that's pretty, you know, Common was just a real like underground Chicago rapper. He was Common Sense first. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. he had to cut his name, but Common, with the, the he's been in massive movies. You know, John. He's Wick, an author John, now. He's an author. He's an author. I mean, he's oof. like to see him come from like his. Can I borrow a dollar? That album. Yeah. And now he's like, what the? F like he's massive. You know. Um, even Bernie Mac, like 
his, too bad he passed, you know, but his trajectory to see him on the south side of Chicago at the little ass place called the Cotton Club next when he's doing movies, he's with Matt Damon and George Clooney. Like, what? Um, also, um, well, Dion Cole. Look oh, Dion yeah. Cole. Yes. Dion Cole, he's doing, you know, he's the, the um, Old Spice commercials. He's on Blackish. He's now he's a house DJ, killing it on house DJ. But he's like a, a, almost a household name. He's becoming that. Mm -hmm. It's great to see that Cootie being, the, you know, doing us uh, documentaries on ESPN 30 by 30. Yeah, 30 by Bedwell. 30. Yep. Yeah, he's murdered. Like, it's like, it's awesome to see, you know, the Chicago guys doing what they're doing. Little Rel's from Chicago. Yeah. Little Rel. I didn't really come up with Little Rel. Corey Holcomb. Corey Holcomb's doing his thing. He's more on the rebellious side, but Corey making waves on the internet and stuff like that. So it's nice to see, you know, to see, um, you know, this trajectory of it's a long, it's a, it's a long ball. It's a long game, you know, it's a long game. Who's on Godfrey's Mount Rushmore of comedies? Yes. Richard Pryor, George Carlin, um, Paul Mooney, Red Fox, that's four. And, That's four. And, uh, let's see. I would say, you know, I want to say Bill Cosby, man. You, you worked, you you worked by, behind the scenes. Yeah. For That's kind yeah. of a cheat code, though. Yeah, I want to say Bill Cosby because Bill, you can say what you want about him. He influenced Pryor. He influenced Seinfeld. He he was a, one of the coldest storytellers. Like, yeah, Cosby, you know, it sucks that his name is. I mean, I'm even in the documentary. Let's talk about Cosby. So. Yeah. I saw Kamal that. Bell, who's from Chicago. Kamal Bell from United States, who's also a Chicago guy. Yeah, I um Bill Cosby. I gotta say that because he he's one of the coldest like storytellers, man. Just and, I've seen that, him in concert. In that documentary, you made some great points. You I mean, a lot of people did, but I, I like the fact that Kamal said we have to talk about we have to talk about Bill because yeah. His impact is his impact is real. I mean, Massive. thousands of comedians came out of what this man was able to do. And hundreds of thousands of black kids went to college because, because of the different world. And, 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 the, Im and, and the image. And yeah. the image, yes. People were matriculating to black colleges because of the Hillman thing, because of different world, because of the Cosby show for him. The way he changed television in the different eras in the '60s, he's the first black man to be on a, na a national television show. I Spy, first one to be on, you know, to be a leading guy, you know, in the '70s. Fat Albert, an African American animation series. Then he had the Picture Pages. He was in Electric Company, and you know, he's doing um, PBS Education. Then he's uh, he's doing commercials for Texas Instruments, Jello Pudding, um, and he's. So he's a he's a spokesperson commercially, and then he he sponsors Willie T. Ribs, who's one of the first black NASCAR, uh, well, one of the first major NASCAR racers. There's a uh, there's a documentary called Uppity. You should see it. It's about Willie T. Ribs and mm -hmm. being a black race car driver in NASCAR and the racism and all that. Adam Carolla, who I do his podcast, produced it. It's really good. So, but Cosby's was one of his sponsors. But Cosby really changed the image of Black African-Americans. He really, really changed it with education and being proper and, and fathers in the home and father. I mean, his famous book, Fatherhood. He really, I mean, NBC was in third place 
when yeah. come before the Cosby show and he changed that. Like, and he wanted to buy a network and every time he bought a network, scandal came up. So, you know, uh, so I really, I, I, you know, it's it's a shame of how it ha what's happened to him, you know? And I, you know, it's like, it's not me going, yeah, he did it. It's like, I wasn't there for any of it. You know, I never seen him do anything crazy, but you got to think about the 60s and when everybody was free love and drugs and blah, 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 blah. And in the patriarchal society, women didn't really have that many rights and men could do whatever the hell they wanted. And people were like, also, there was, um, you know, consensual, like, yeah, let's do drugs and have sex. Okay, cool. There was that too. So, but it's, but that's I really. The consensual but, part is like, you know, that's, that's the part though. Right. But I'm not, that, but I'm not. The consensual part, you mean like people actually consenting to it? Yeah, like you have to... There were the plenty of people, of course. But think about it. You're Bill Cosby. You look great. You're a good-looking guy. You're powerful. Women are coming at you left and right, and there's consensual shit going on. I'm not saying that he didn't rape anybody, because a lot of men were raping women, too, and taking shit from them. That's facts. You know, yeah. but I don't know his count. I, I, It would be wrong for me to say, yeah, he did do shit, because I didn't see nothing around him. When I was around, I didn't see any of that, you know. Yeah. So the 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 I I but I do believe that there is casting couch stuff. I believe that there's things like that that happen that women won't say anything because they can get in trouble, you yeah. know. And yeah. you know, and I and it happens to men too. There's men that get sexually. Oh, I'm sure. Like I'm that. sure. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah, man, it was it was. A, I walked the line. I walked the line. I tried to be as honest as I could. I didn't I didn't throw Mr. Cosby under the bus at all because that's all on him, not me. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. But he had his impact is is huge, man. It's too bad that it came down like this, you know. You had two comedies. Are you doing another comedy special? And what yeah. can I expect when I come see you this weekend in Milwaukee at the improv? Expect the same shit. <laughs> no, you know, I, I'm gonna talk about the relevant stuff, you know. You know, and the thing about me is, like, some people say, man, you, you're always doing different stuff all the time. Even if I hear something to say, it's still different, though. I go, yeah, that's how I do. I go by what I feel, you know. I change up my shit every show, you know. It may be, you might hear some, some of the same stuff, but that's normal to hear some of the same stuff. That's like, when people when people tell comedians, man, you do the same stuff, I go, but you go to work the same route every day. Every day you do the same <laughs> shit. You talk the same shit. You go to lunch with your friend. You talk the same shit. But a comedian, what do you want a comedian to do? There's only so many topics. There's only so many words. I'm speaking the same language you're speaking. They think when you go to comedy, there's supposed to be some new... We're not on another planet. This is like... I'm going to talk about dogs. I'm talking about women. Talk about... There's only so many subjects. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Until, until comedy is on another planet. But, you know, it's just funny how... But you'll go to a concert... And sing the same shit you've been listening to. Yeah, you're like I'm waiting for. Well, I want I want to sing with them now. If a, a musician says I have this new song, you're like I want to hear that shit. Give me my give me my trusty song that's gonna make. I want to listen up. to the song that I've been knowing for ten years. I want to sing with you, but let a comedian. Hey, he do that same damn joke. <laughs> like, what? As a comedian, what is the best comedy show you have ever attended live? Who made you laugh so hard that you were like, you know what? This is the best comedy show I've ever seen. Ah, uh, damn. I don't know. 
you know, it had to, I, I think it had to be, I don't, I, that's a hard one. Cause there were people that weren't even famous that were just fucking hilarious. Like, there's a guy named David Tell. Chappelle, I've been to Chappelle stuff. He'd be having me dying. Mike Epps. Mm -hmm. um, um, David Tell, another guy, a little Jewish cat. Funny, oh my God, funny as hell. One of the most brilliant comedic minds, I think, on the planet is David Tell. And it, I mean, people may not know this guy. You may know him, you may not, but he's just like, he's just, he's just, a, he's just a, a, such a brilliant thinker. You know, he's made me laugh, like crazy laugh. Uh, let's see. When Patrice O'Neill was around, Patrice oh, O'Neill. Yeah. Patrice O'Neill was funny. Bill Burr. Bill Burr's oh, had course. me rolling. Bill of Burr's course. had me rolling. Just those real, the, the thinkers, the real thinkers, the edgy people, you know? You know, um, that's about, yeah. Oh, there was a lady named Simply Marvelous back in the day. She passed away, black woman. She was, she used to have me dying. Oh my God. Her one line, I'll never forget. She goes, Oh, I love me some LL Cool J. I might not be a roundaway. Because she was heavy set and mm -hmm. older. She said, I might not be a roundaway girl, but I'll be a up the block bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that that line, I it just, it was like, she's the greatest. She's the baddest. She's the baddest chick on the mind. She was such a funny woman, man. She she died. She passed away not too long ago. Simply marvelous. Was she's so fantastic that Clearly, I mean, just it was like marvelous. unknowns. They were not like always the known knowns. Unknowns. There were people you just regular comedians that were just super funny, yeah. like that had me dying. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. George Wallace, George oh. Wallace. Yeah, George Wallace, man. People, well, George Wallace is another funny woof. Like people who sleep on Wallace, man. George Wallace is unreal. Like, yeah, George Wallace be just like an old feisty uncle, just like oh stupid, I'm kind of stupid people, you know. Just <laughs> you're known for your you're known for your impersonations. Who do you do yeah. the most? Who or who do you like to do the most? Who do you I, like I to do the most? Who's the easiest? Uh, who was the easiest? To right learn? now, Trump is so fun. I love doing Trump. Damn, I love doing Trump. I don't know why. Trump Give me some so Trump. Fun. Give me some Trump. This is a very good show. I'm very happy, and I'm very happy to be here. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. Trump and this. This is very good. Very bad. <laughs> so, how do you do a Teach me how to do a convincing Trump. How how do you do? Oh, what do you what do you oh. have to do with your face, your hands? My your... His mouth is very small. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Hey, just tell you gonna ruin it. She's like, <laughs> his mouth was okay. very small. I noticed his mouth was very, very small. This is, and then he's doing this with his hands, and he's. It's like a box around, like it can. Yeah, only he's always go going so like far. this, like this box, like he has rubber bands. He's going. <laughs> Who else? And do you most, like and to most do? politicians, they talk like this. They yeah, this with their thing. thumb. Yeah, they go like this, and I feel that. But Trump just says fuck all. He's just like <laughs> he Trump the I'm other day. I'm gonna show said, all my fingers. You're not Trump, hiding. Trump any said of. something real funny the other day. Man, I'm, I saw some video, and he was really funny. He goes, "I love LeBron James. LeBron James, love LeBron. I'm thinking about getting a basketball team." <laughs> 
I'm going to get a basketball team. And <laughs> I'm going to get LeBron James and all some other amazing basketball players, and I'm going to make them transition and be a transgender. What? And we're going to win all the championships. <laughs> it was really funny. What? Trump, is, Trump tries to tell jokes. Trump be trying to throw in jokes, man. <laughs> So do you think he really, he's trolling us or do you think this is real? Yeah, I think he's both. I, he's a narcissist. He's like a five-year-old. He's a supreme narcissist to a point where his fan, he doesn't, I don't think he cares about his family. I don't think he, he cares about himself. It's all about him and his attention. If he doesn't get any attention, he's pissed. Even if you're pissed at him, he likes that you're mad at him. He, mm -hmm. he his Attention is what makes him stronger. If you have indifference, that's his weakness. If you're not listening to him, that's when he gets pissed. He goes, I need attention. I need you all to to, to, to yell at me. I need that, you know? Yeah. He, you know, he wants to be a dictator. He well, he has the mentality of a dictator. He really does. Just megalomaniacal, grandiose thinking. Yeah. He's like literally has narcissistic disorder. You know what well, I mean? Well, luckily really for does. us, we have in Godfrey, we can trust. Right? My podcast, by the way, is almost at... 400,000 subscribers on YouTube. I don't see why it should be. A, it should be a million. Like, like Joe Rogan and those guys. They, 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 I mean, Rogan's been doing this shit 15 years. Let's not get it twisted. He'd been putting work in. But my thing is, it's so easy to just press the subscribe button on my, on YouTube. And Godfrey would trust. You guys see the clips. The clips are dope. Got my man Dante on there. Sometimes my boy Vishnu comes on there. Sometimes the Keem Woods, we we you know we 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 circulate different comedians and stuff like that, and yeah, it's a, I think it's a good podcast. I'm proud of it. I'm glad Gas Digital Network. I'm glad that I started doing that. I used to be on SiriusXM too. Yeah, I remember. And, and I got and fired by the same person who hired me. You know what? But I think she that's what I was talking about me. earlier. I was talking about earlier, like certain things you just don't you don't stand for. Yeah. You you you're just not gonna do. You're not gonna play around with, you're not gonna it's it's a un it's a non-conversation. If somebody yeah. is being disrespectful to you, the community, or um putting out images about us that aren't factual and you call yeah. them on it and they don't, you know, double back, apologize, issue something and kind of, you know, atone for what they've done, you out. And we need more yeah. people like that. We need more people who have a platform to take that risk to say, look, we're yeah. worth it because other people yeah. stand on their community. Yeah. All the time. And, and, and it's amazing how like just all of us as you know, in the business, we be mad quiet about everything. Damn near. No one says anything, nothing, just nothing. Not even like even something just safe. You don't have to have to No, Everybody can't be Malcolm X. Right. I think that a lot of black folks get it twisted. Our silence can be powerful too. It's just it, everybody doesn't have to be going. You don't understand the government. Not everybody has to yell everything out. If people can be doing things in a quiet way too, you mm -hmm. know. But I just think even if you're going to say something, you can be a balanced thing. Like when they asked me about the situation, the war that's going on, I said I'm pro peace. I'm pro humanity. I don't like violence. Innocent people being murdered. I don't like it. I don't have a dog in this fight because I'm not educated enough. That's what I say. What's wrong with saying that? 
You, I mean, people are being murdered, babies are burned. You're just not going to say anything? That's right. weird to me. It's very strange. You don't think you're going to get the sitcom because you said, I don't like the dehumanization of people, period. I don't know. I just don't like to see innocent people dying and babies dying and mothers. It's not cool on any level. So that's, you think that's going to keep you from getting a sitcom? I don't. Some people are afraid and, and you've never taken that approach. You've never taken that approach that the one thing that's being offered is bigger than the community. And I appreciate that. As a viewer, as a lover of comedy, it makes me love your comedy even more. And it knows it lets me know that it's coming from a genuine place. When you're yeah. a lot of yeah. comedy, uh, comedians talk about how the comedy is always rooted in something factual. And yeah, sure. you can tell that with you because you stand on what you stand on. Yeah, man. I, it's just, and I don't, and it's nothing, it's nothing like out of the ordinary. It's just like, it's what it is. It's not. Richard Pryor's did that. George Carlin mm -hmm. did that. Mooney did that. Rivers did that. A lot of comedians did it before me. And I'm just like living my life and saying, oh, this is what it is. That's it. That's it. It's real. It's real simple, man. Just well, like, I thank this you. Is what it is. I thank, thank you. you. And I, I, I thank you so much. I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed your, your interview with me. I hope you did. I didn't. But listen, I'll see you later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be funny if I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> What is wrong with you? <laughs> that would be funny, but no, I didn't. And I just, no, wait. And I just have my finger at the button like this. No, I didn't. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Thank, no, thanks. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. God bless. Good night. You better not. <laughs> I'll be like this. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks. Lord. Oh. Thanks. There we go. And. <laughs>